Well, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Verse, we're going to look at verses 10 through 23. If you're new with us, my name's Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Harvest. And uh, we are wrapping up this series that we have entitled Anchored, Finding Stability in the Midst of Rough Waters. This is our 11th week. We're closing it out today. And uh, man, I, I know that the Lord has spoken uh, to you. I've had many people share that with me in this series, how the Lord has shown you, uh, reminded you, encouraged you, convicted you, challenged you on how to walk through the difficult times that you're walking through. And, and I put myself with you that every, every week that I am preparing for what I believe and really asking, Lord, what do you want us to highlight in your word and I'm telling you, the Lord has encouraged and challenged and convicted this heart right here of how I need to be reminded and learn in greater ways of where stability is found. And so I'm no different than you, and I say that so you understand that, so we highlight that reality and you never think otherwise. Uh, but I want to read verses 10 through 23 this morning to get us started and then we're going to just unpack these verses. And so if you're there in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23, say you're there. All right, let's start in verse 10. Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you, Philippians, yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more, and I am well supplied, for I received from Epaphroditus, having re the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all of the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. If you remember, remember when the very first chapter, when we talked about how Paul was chained to those different uh, centurions that were there and how Paul used that as an opportunity to lead many of them to Christ. We said that because of this verse here in verse 22. Then he closes out this letter to the church at Philippi, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here's the title of this message this morning. Secret of contentment. Lord, we come to you today, Lord, in all different ways, some very overjoyed and excited about the blessings that they are seeing you graciously provide in their lives right now, and we praise you for that. Others that are coming into this room that are heavy-hearted because of something that literally just happened this last week, 
and it's just put them in a tailspin. Others that have been walking through something for quite a long time and maybe you're discouraged, have lost hope, or experiencing anything but stability in the midst of the rough waters that they are experiencing. And Lord, we know that none of those scenarios are outside of your control or outside of your power or outside of you intervening. And Lord, do not determine the stability that is ours in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, whatever those things are, whatever those things are that are causing us to lack the experience of contentment, may you speak to those things today. Because God, we know this and we say this here, that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So Lord, we're ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I was thinking about this message this morning and this passage of Scripture on contentment, and much like the passage that we looked at a couple weeks ago in Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, very familiar passage of Scripture. I mean, if there's one verse that's probably more well-known than any other verse in the book of Philippians, and I would say next to John 3, 16, probably the verse that's that's known by pretty much everybody in our society today would be Philippians 4.13, next to John 3.16. I mean, we would probably agree with that. But when we think about this idea of contentment, it made me really think about, I mean, we're in the holiday season. Hard to believe, right? It's already December. Very hard to believe for myself. This year has gone by so fast, but we're in that time of year where the lack of contentment rules its ugly head in a way that really... Uh, rarely does it as much as in this time and in this season that we're in. And, and all you need to be reminded of that is if you have kids and understand that. Um, but really, it's not just, we're not immune from, from adults, are we not? And when I was thinking about contentment, I was thinking about the different things that I remember I thought when I was a kid would bring me such contentment. I remember I was blessed enough to be given one of these by my grandfather. And I remember they came out in 1985. It was the Nintendo. Does any of you have one of those old Nintendos? Like the very first thing? Raise your hand. Let me see who, who's with me. All right, most of you. Uh, most of you had a tremendous childhood because you had a Nintendo. Um, I remember I thought that. And I remember it was given to me by my grandfather and grandmother, and I was so super pumped, and it came with Super Mario Brothers. And I just thought, man, you, like you were, you were a cool kid if you had the Nintendo. And what's funny is, is that system was only eight bits. Like, I don't know what all that means, but it was eight bits. I have an Xbox that my kids play right now that has a terabyte hard drive. But man, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, like 1980, I mean, the, the Nintendo was the thing. I mean, if you had that, like that, that was just, your life was fulfilled. Uh, and then I think about even to the way things have changed, I think about sp- the way sports even operated. I mean, I played sports growing up, and, and I remember when you were in high school, like you had, a, you had seasons. Like, like, we didn't have football at our school, so we had soccer in the fall. You had soccer season, and you played soccer. And then when soccer was over in the fall, then you moved to the next season, and it was basketball season in the winter. And then when basketball season was over, then you had baseball season in the spring, and you moved from season to season, and then you took the summer off, and you kind of chilled, and you went on vacation with your parents, and all. It's not that way anymore, is it? Like, that was fine for it to be that way 20 years ago for me. But it's not that way anymore, because now, man, it's like, I mean, my kids are in sports now, and now it's like, hey, is Lily going to play in the AAU, the travel team, and all this stuff? And I'm thinking, that wasn't even around 
Like, I'm sounding really old this morning. <laughs> I mean, I know it was, but it wasn't as pop. You know, now it's like, oh, all season long. Like, we're only, you got to pick a sport. She's, I'm like, my daughter's in ninth grade and my son's 11 years old. Now I got to pick a sport. I mean, that's just the way it is. And things change in what we thought was satisfying. Now it's on a greater scale. Think about it as well. Think about, I mean, do you remember bubble TVs? Remember that? Not that long ago. I remember in our house, we had this bubble TV, but here's the deal. You remember this? Like we had a 27 inch bubble TV, but that like the wood around it was like a 50 inch thing. So you had like the 27 inch TV. Some of you younger people are looking at me like you don't have a clue. Well, just stick with me. And you had this 50 inch piece of furniture that encompassed the 27 inch TV. And for our household, here's what was interesting. The TV in the 50 inch enclosure, wood enclosure didn't even work. It was literally the thing that held up the 20 inch TV with the antenna. Like that was our household. And you didn't have remote controls. So, I mean, that's why parents had kids back then, right? So the kids could run and change the channel. And, and I remember that. And now, I mean, we got 4K. I just found out there's like this 5K thing going on. I mean, back then, if you had a 27-inch bubble TV, man, you were, you were just cool. I mean, think about it as well. Like, you actually had to watch commercials 15 years ago. Your favorite show, and if you missed 8 o'clock on your favorite show, then hopefully you caught up because there wasn't the internet and there wasn't Netflix and there wasn't Hulu and there wasn't DVR. I mean, things change so much. And the reason why I say that, those things, and take time to mention those things is to drive home this reality that we live in a society today that has more entertainment and things at our fingertips than ever before in human history. Ever before. But what's interesting is that we still are bored, we still are frustrated, we're still discontent amidst having more things available to us quicker than ever before. Why? Because contentment's not about stuff, it's about trust. Contentment is rooted in what you trust not in how much stuff you have. Here's a definition of contentment. It literally has this idea in the passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning. It literally has the idea of being unwavered by outside circumstances. That's the idea of contentment. And so why is it so important that we understand contentment this morning? Why are we dealing with this at the end of this series? Well, first and foremost, because we're walking through this book of the Bible verse by verse, and the Lord through Paul chose to, for Paul to pen these words at the end of the letter, so that's first and foremost, that's the obvious. But second, because contentment is so important to your walk with the Lord. It's so important for me to experience contentment in my walk with the Lord, because so many of us seek contentment in the things that contentment cannot be found. We seek it in money. And we think if I just have enough money, then I'll experience ease and contentment. And what we find is, is that's a, that's a subjective thing because no matter how much money we accumulate, we always think in our mind, if I can just get a little bit more, then I'll be where I need to be. 
Contentment's not found in a relationship. You're not going to experience contentment if you're like, man, if I can just get married and if I can just find a husband and if I can just find a wife, then I'll experience contentment. The reality is, is that's not where contentment is found. I love my wife to death. I think she's the greatest woman that walks this planet. But what I found was, is after I said I do and I married what I believe is the, and should believe, and you ought to be happy that I believe this, is the greatest woman walking the earth right now. What's an amazing thing is when I said I do, I still struggle with contentment. Why? Because of this idea that I want you to understand today that we're going to see Paul emphasize in this passage of Scripture that contentment is found in Christ, not the condition of my circumstances. That is where contentment is found. It is found in my relationship with Jesus Christ rather than then the condition of my circumstances. I don't experience contentment when things are going great and struggle with contentment when things are difficult. No, no, no. Contentment is not defined, is not sourced in the condition of my circumstances, though we think that all the time. If I could just achieve this, if I could just have this, if I can just be with this person, if I can, whatever them are, list them out right now that you're probably thinking, and if you look at, you evaluate your life in the past month or six months or a year, you would say, I've been striving for these things, because in reality, I think that when I have them, I'll be satisfied, and the reality is, is what God's word says today, and what we will see is that is not the case. Why? Because contentment is rooted, is sourced, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, not the condition of your circumstances. Look at verse 11 with me. In verse 11, Paul says what? I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he uses this phrase again in verse 12. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Notice what we see in this passage is that contentment is not experienced by chance. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. I just experienced contentment. It doesn't happen by chance. But rather, it's experienced because it's learned. It's part of my spiritual maturity. Now, here's what's interesting that you don't see in the English that you would see when you understand the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, and that there's two different words used for learned in these two verses. In verse 11, the idea there in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, has this idea of arriving at a fact based on understanding. It's this idea that I've learned this to be true intellectually. Like I've grown in understanding this truth intellectually. And we know that that's necessary in our spiritual maturity. We need to know what God's word says about situations. We need to go to God's word to seek answers. So that's that's the way the word learned is used in verse 11. But there's a different Greek word that's translated learn in verse 12, 
when he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, those two polar opposite types of circumstances. It has the idea of learning something through experience. So one word in verse 11 means to learn something intellectually. The other word in verse 12 has the idea of learning something experientially. And what have we said throughout this series is spiritual maturity. It's not only based on what I know to be true, though that is important. I need to know what God's word says. But spiritual maturity is found not just in learning something knowledge-wise, but taking that knowledge and applying it to what we experience in our lives. That is spiritual maturity. And it's interesting that Paul says, the reason why I can say I am living in contentment is because I've learned this. I know who Jesus Christ is. I've grown in understanding that, and I've also grown in understanding that in such a way that I can take what I know and applying it to what I experience so that contentment can be something in my life. Let me give you a perfect example, an illustration. How many of you love board games? Raise your hand. Wow, a lot of you. Me, not so much. See, I have a joke at my family when they're like, hey, let's play a board game. I'm like, well, I spell board games B-O-R-E-D. That's how I spell board games. It's not into it. Um, you want to go outside and do something? Let's do it. But, but I play them because I need to love my kids and that's, I need to love my wife. And that's just one intangible way that I can, we can have family time and playing the board games. And have you ever experienced this? Like now the board games seem to be getting more complicated or the card games seem to be more complicated. Like we just, we just bought this game recently called Exploding Kittens. Anybody know about that game? Fun game, but extremely complicated when you're first understanding. And this is what oftentimes happens in my house. The kids or Lori or, or, or other people are explaining me the game and they're like, well, if this scenario happens and you do this, and if this happens and you do this, but you don't do this, if this happens and, and, and if you're like me, what happens? I'm like, listen, stop. Let me just play the game and you show me what to do while we're playing. Anybody else like that? Like, like that's how I operate. Because what I've found is this, it's not enough to just have it explained, though that's important, but you actually learn better as you are learning it, you understand, okay, these are the facts, but now I need help to actually learn how to apply that. Same thing is true in life. See, we can come in here and we can hear messages and week after week, we could have been in this series in Philippians. We're in our 11th week. We've gone through it all throughout the fall. We started it in September. It's now the first week in December. We've been in the book of Philippians every week and you can hear things and you can discuss it in your life group and go on and on and on. And praise God, you're getting more knowledge. But that's only part of contentment. That's only the part of learning. The other learning is saying, I'm gonna take what I have learned to be true intellectually, and I'm gonna apply it to my life experientially. Contentment cannot be reached without both of those things. And Paul says, the reason why I can say that I know what it's like to be high and I know what it's like to be low, I know what it's like to experience abundance and I know what it's like to experience tremendous need, but I've learned to be content is because this is something that Paul has had to develop as a discipline. I'm gonna take what I know and I'm gonna apply it to what I'm experiencing in my life. So what I wanna do in the rest of our time is this. I wanna answer this question. How do you, 
How do I learn to be content regardless of circumstances? If contentment is found in Christ, rather than the condition of my circumstances, good or difficult, then how do I learn to be content? And here's the first way, and it's found in verse 10. Number one, trust that God is always in control rather than controlled by your circumstances. See, some of us are battling that right now. Do I believe that God is in control or do I believe that God is controlled by my circumstances? Look at what it says in verse 10 again. Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived. It's that horticultural gardening term of, of something blooming again, a plant flowering again after being dormant for a while. And he says, you're cons- I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing that your concern for me has been revived, for you indeed are concerned for me, but you've had no opportunity. Here's the significance of this verse, and here's why I say the first way is to trust that God's in control, not controlled by your circumstances, is it's been 10 years since Paul's been with the church at Philippi. It's been 10 years since he left to continue on his missionary journeys. 10 years. They had no way to keep up with Paul. They had no idea where he was unless someone, a messenger, sent a letter back to them. They had no idea. They had lost touch of where Paul was. And we're going to find out later in this passage of Scripture that the Philippian church was one of the only churches who even cared for Paul and looked to meet his physical needs. And the reason why I say this passage of Scripture helps us understand that we need to trust that God is always in control rather than controlled by our circumstances is Paul could have said in this in verse 10, hey, church at Philippi, it's about time you remembered me. It's been 10 years. What's your problem? What's your deal? Like I helped start your church and I've heard nothing from you. He could have been angry. He could have been upset. He could have been bitter. I think it's interesting that Paul had such a trust that God was in control, not controlled by his circumstances, that when the church at Philippi found out and met his need through Epaphroditus, as we've already looked at in this letter, Paul's response was joy, not upset by the timing. Paul understood that God's always on time. He's never late, that there's a purpose for why he's in that prison. We already saw that so that other people can be encouraged in their faith, so the people who were chained to him could come to Jesus Christ. We saw that in chapter one. And listen, what I find is so interesting in my life and when I evaluate is nothing tests, nothing tests my trust in God more than when I'm experiencing rough waters. See, trusting that God is always in control rather than controlled by your circumstances produces patience in adversity, thankfulness in prosperity, and a confidence that, as Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8, nothing will separate me from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Trusting that God is in control means trusting in God's providence. That's a theological term. That means as God is in control of everything, that he's not a reactionary God, that he's not up in heaven wondering, well, I didn't see that coming. 
that he's in control. He's not controlled by my circumstances. He's not controlled by the good things. He's not controlled by the difficult things. He's not controlled by the sinful actions that I do when I deviate from God's purpose for my life. He's not controlled by anything like that. But God's providence, believing that he's in control over all things, reminds me that God takes every one of those scenarios, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult, and he weaves them together to form a tapestry that reminds those who are looking on and yourself that he is in control and nothing is going to thwart his purposes for your life. And if I'm going to learn to grow in contentment, then I have to start in believing today that God is in control, not controlled by my circumstances. Does God desire you to sin? Absolutely not. Does God desire you to deviate from his ways? Absolutely not. But if you've done that this morning, God's not done with you. That hasn't taken God by surprise, even though he would not condone it. There's verses all over the scriptures that remind us of that we can trust that God is in control, that we can trust in God's providence. I think of Jeremiah 18.4, if you're here today and you're struggling, you're like, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I sinned in that way. I can't believe I made that mistake. Jeremiah 18.4 says this, the vessel that was marred in the hand of the potter, he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. You know what that tells me? That though God does not desire me to deviate from his ways in my life, that God forbid if I do, that doesn't thwart his purposes in my life. See, he's, a, he's the potter. I'm the clay. He takes the things that are marred in my life and he makes a new vessel for his honor and his glory. You need to trust that God's in control. Just like Paul trusted when he was in that prison, though a lot of time elapsed, and he wasn't sure how his needs were going to be met. He knew that God was in control, not controlled by his circumstances. Proverbs 19, 21 says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Some of you are so stuck because you're like, man, I thought this is the way I was supposed to go and it didn't work out. And so now you're defining yourself by that thing that didn't work out and you're seeing yourself as a failure. And what God wants you today to understand to grow in, to learn so that you can learn contentment is that he's in control, that that mistake doesn't define him and it for sure doesn't define you. It's his plans that will stand, not my plans, not your plans. I think of Joseph in Genesis 50 when he's able to look back over his life and though he would have never chosen to be in a pit and be separated from his family forever and never see his home again, he says this, you meant evil against me, speaking to his brothers, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, God had a purpose and it wasn't gonna be controlled by circumstances. No, 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 God is in control. You know, Paul's an interesting guy. Hopefully you've gotten to know a little bit more about Paul and who he is as we've walked through this book of Philippians. See, Paul's an interesting guy because we've learned in this, in this book that Paul was a Roman citizen. You may have already known that before we've walked through Philippians. He was a Roman citizen. Remember, that was something that people cherished highly. He was a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew. And he just wasn't any old Jew. He was a Jew of Jews. Like, Paul had tremendous Jewish cred, 
I mean, he had a resume. Remember, we looked at that in chapter three. He says in verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law, a Pharisee. I mean, Paul was an up and coming person in Pharisaical circles. He was the next big thing. He had a platform ready for him. He would have been fairly wealthy. He was from Tarsus. He was a city boy. Like he was up and coming. He was the next big thing. But when you walk through the book of Acts, and we don't have time this morning, you see how God took this man who thought he was it. And he used him. And he humbled him. For his, for the Lord's purposes and for the Lord's glory. Just think about it. When we walk through the book of Acts, it just doesn't mention tremendous highs. Paul saw tremendous highs. He saw people come to Jesus Christ. He saw people, people healed. He had the opportunity to heal people. I mean, there was times where, where he got bit by a snake, a poisonous snake, and didn't even die. And, and he was able to see so many different things that God used him, tremendous highs. I mean, but he also, as we know, experienced tremendous lows. Remember when in the book of Acts, when it talks about he was whipped, 40 times saved one, the flesh hanging off of his back. He just didn't have highs. He had super lows. He was shipwrecked, drowning. God saved him, but nevertheless experienced great tragedy. The sleepless nights that Paul, I'm sure, had because he heard rumors of people that were wanting to kill him and take his life. Think about the times where he was stoned and lying face in the dirt, wondering, am I even going to live? I'm in so much pain right now being stoned for being a proclaimer of the gospel. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five through 29. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Which, by the way, man, if you were lived back then and I saw Paul on a boat, I'm getting off. This is a side note, that was free. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. There's this weight on me for the churches that I love, for the churches that God allowed me to start and not wanting their faith to waver. Verse 29, who is weak? Am I not weak? And he says in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, I'm content. There's that word again. I'm unwavered by outside circumstances with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. So with that in mind, let's read verses 11 through 13 again. Would you look at me? We're gonna find the second way that we learn to be content regardless of circumstances. Paul says this in verse 11, now that we understand in a greater way maybe what Paul experienced. We can understand when he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Like church at Philippi, I'm thankful for the gift God has used you to provide for my physical needs, but my greatest need has been in met. That's why he says, I'm not speaking of being in need because I know the person who will meet my needs. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. We just read how he was brought low. I know how to abound. Think about it. 
The church at Philippi was started by Lydia, remember, a fashionista, a maker of fabrics. I'm sure her, her, uh, her house was pretty bougie, pretty posh. I'm sure it was pretty amazing. Yeah, you, some of you young people, yeah, I know that word. I have kids, I have teenagers. Her was pretty amazing. Man, I'm like hanging out in Lydia's house. I'm sure Paul probably was thinking, because I'd be thinking this more, Lord, it'd be awesome if I could stay in here for like a couple of years, because it's been pretty bad beforehand. We know that didn't happen. Now he's in a prison cell. But he says, man, I know what it's like to abound. I know what it's like to live the posh lifestyle. And I know what it's like to have nothing. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's the second way. Rely on God's strength in everything rather than my weakness in some things. See, we oftentimes like to live in this dichotomy. We like to divide our lives in the timeline of our lives. As these are the times where I've experienced God's blessing, and these are the times where I'm experiencing just absolute yuck. And the times that I'm experiencing absolute yuck, those are the times that I'm going to run to him for his strength. And the times when things seem to be going well, honestly, if we were, if we were being truthful, we would say, well, those are the times that really, like, I start to think that I can do this on my own. And the reason why I say rely on God's strength in everything rather than my weakness is something is because our strength is not strength, it's weakness at best. But what I think is interesting when we look at this passage of Scripture is that Paul doesn't delineate between good times and yuck times. He says, no, 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 no. I rely on God's strength in the good and the yuck, in the good and the dark times, in the good and not knowing what God is doing. No, no, no. God's strength is important in everything. Relying on a strength in everything is vitally important. See, the Stoics who lived back then, they loved this word contentment. They loved it. Because the word literally means, even though I said it has the idea of being unwavered by outside circumstances, the literal definition of that word means to be self-sufficient. See, for the Stoics, that was something that was a virtue that should be pursued above all others. That their ideal was for you to be a superman or a superwoman that was unhindered by any side, outside influence or circumstance. That you were above it. You were self-sufficient. That was something that they valued greatly. They didn't love humility. Like when Paul talked about humility in Philippians chapter two, they looked at that as a weakness, not a strength. They loved the idea of being self-sufficient. And what I think is so interesting is Paul takes this word that everyone would have known the connotation of what it meant, and he redeems the word to speak to how he's learned to be content. But it's not self-sufficient. When he speaks of contentment, he's speaking of, I have learned what it means to be God-sufficient. I've learned what it means to experience the sufficiency of Christ in my life in all things. Why did we say that main idea that we were driving home? Because of this passage of Scripture, that my contentment is found in Christ, not in the condition of my circumstances. And Paul says, I've learned 
That my sufficiency is not based on the good things that I'm experiencing in life or the extremely hard things that I'm experiencing in life, but I'm able to experience a consistency in my life and unwavering in my life because I've learned that Jesus Christ is the same in the good and the difficult. And I need to rely on his strength in everything. See, Philippians 4.13 is the secret for contentment. Now, man, how often is Philippians 4.13 taken out of context? I mentioned already how it's probably the second most popular Bible verse that we have next to John 3.16. I mean, people wear it on bracelets. People have it on t-shirts. It's on posters. And that's great. It may be your favorite verse. That's awesome. It's a tremendous verse. It's the key to understanding contentment. But it is so misinterpreted. Like it's wrote, written on sneakers by athletes. Man, if I write Philippians 4.13 on my tennis shoes, I'm probably going to be a professional athlete because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got hardly any talent. But because I wrote that verse on my sneakers, NBA, MLB, NFL's in my future. Like, man, I'm, I can just, I can dream any dream and do anything. Why? Because Philippians 4.13, after it all, says I can do all things, and all things means all things through him who strengthens me. But here's, what that, how, here's why that verse is so often misinterpreted. Because we approach this verse as, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I want you to jump on the train and do my bidding. Like, I can do all things, and Jesus, you can come along for the ride. That's not what that verse means. It's not. Just turn to your neighbor and say, it's not what that verse means. Yeah. So, so we're going to learn to be content this morning. We're learning that. I'm going to trust that God's in control in everything, not controlled by circumstance. I'm going to rely on God's strength in all things, not in my weakness in some things. And we're going to walk around with a good interpretation of Philippians 4.13. Because here's really what it means if we're going to use that sports analogy. It's saying, hey, if you make it to the big leagues and you're in the big leagues, then you praise the Lord for that understanding that it's the Lord who gave you the strength to do so and the talent to do so. And if you have only enough talent to squirt water in the athlete's mouth, then you praise him for the opportunity that he's given you to do that. Here's how Paul would speak to it, and obviously he already has in his word. Here's what he's saying. I've learned to be content when I've received everything I wanted. I've learned to be content and to thank God when I'm sitting in Lydia's house, enjoying the prosperity of the Lord. I've learned, God, I'm going to rely on your strength, and I'm going to thank you for that, and I'm going to be content in that, because I understand that you're the one that's given it, but I'm not going to define you by that. I'm going to be content when I receive everything I want, and I'm going to learn to be content when I get nothing I want. I want. I can do either one by the strength of Christ. That's what that verse means. So when Paul says, like he does in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that even speaks to contentment. What Paul is saying is, is, listen, if I live this life 
and the people that I'm preaching the gospel to, they want to take my life from me and they want to kill me. Well, then praise God because I get to be with Jesus all the sooner. And if they don't want to take my life and they allow me to live, praise God for that because I get to continue to live on mission for him and my life is going to be filled more with Christ and have more opportunities to represent Christ. If they want to persecute me, then praise God for that, even though I'm not asking for it, even though I'm not seeking it. If they persecute me, praise God for that, because now it's a testimony for me to show that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. See, that's what Paul is getting at. So when he says, I can do all things through Christ, who gives me strength, what he is saying is, is listen, I understand that I have God's strength in everything. I'm going to make that personal in my life. I, I can do this. I'm going to understand that it requires me to learn this, to practice this. I, purpose, can do, practice. And here's the perspective that I'm going to see that it's all things That it's the good that I can see the Lord strengthen and it's the difficult that I can see God strengthen. That's perspective. I can do all things and then here's the power through him who strengthens me. And here's the third thing and we're done. It's found in verses 14 through 20 and we don't have time to read again this passage of scripture. We already did it. But I just want to highlight some things in this chunk of scripture that closes out the book of Philippians. Notice in verse 15, he says, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. Remember we said, it's been 10 years since Paul originally left the church to continue his missionary work. And then in verse 16, it says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Acts 17 talks about that. So the Philippians just didn't meet his needs through Epaphroditus. Evidently, they had done it before. See, here's the third way that we learn to be content regardless of circumstances. And oftentimes we forget this, but I'm so glad that God's word highlights it. We depend on God's provision for all our needs rather than my possessions for my security. See, we so easily fall into the trap that I will be secure when I have accumulated X. But I don't see anywhere in this passage of Scripture where Paul says that security will be found in a greater way when we have more. It's not dependent, as we said, on things or on money. It's not dependent on relationships. It's not dependent on occupation. It's not dependent on a location. No, no, no. It's found in Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest ways that grows our contentment is seeking opportunities where we can grow in a greater way that God is our source of provision. He's our security. He's where contentment is found. Not how much stuff I have or don't have. I love how Paul highlights that, and it's sad, but it's oftentimes reality, that he says at the end of verse 15, he thanks them for entering into partnership with him, but he says, I'm thankful for the partnership with me in giving and receiving, but he's like, you only are the ones that did it. 
What I found in my life, being on the end of needing God to provide in a great way, and every one of us have been there. Think about it, that God always met your, the needs, your needs, through other people. A phrase was told to me when I was, before I was even in pastoral ministry, and it was this phrase, God always meets the needs of his people through people. And Paul testifies to this. And what I think is interesting, though we sometimes think is, well, that's for people who have more than enough. But what I see in this passage of Scripture is that I experience contentment in a greater way when I step out in faith in seeking opportunities to provide for others, for others in need, because what it does is it reminds me of where my contentment is found. My contentment isn't found in this thing that I'm struggling to give right now. It's found in Jesus Christ. And the Philippians were not a wealthy church. It says in 2 Corinthians 8.2, extreme poverty. In extreme poverty, Paul says, you have given in generosity. Then we come to that verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know what the significance of that phrase is? You like all needs? I was like, I'd be, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's pretty good. But here's the phrase that I think is the is the what gives that phrase strength. It's according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Because the Lord knows that you and I are going to struggle, that God will meet all of our needs. And we could tell you a whole nother message about defining what's needs and wants. But the reason why I can believe in God's provision is I look to what he's provided through Jesus Christ in the gospel. See, the reason why I can believe that God will supply all my needs is because I've already experienced the riches in Christ Jesus. See, we're in this Advent season where we just acknowledge different things, hope and peace and joy and love. And we're in this first week of Advent season and that first thing that is celebrated, or at least the way that we do it, is hope. Because at the end of the day, what we've seen over and over again throughout this series in Philippians is that our hope is found in Jesus Christ. He's the source of our joy. He's the source of our stability. In our message today, he's the source of our contentment. And so if I'm not experiencing that this morning, it's because I'm looking for it in the wrong place. And if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I've placed my faith and trust in him for my salvation, then I have what can bring me contentment. It's just about me learning and applying that as I walk this life. So here's the way that we're gonna close out this series today. It's kind of hard to miss this cross that's been in front of me as I've been speaking. But you see that there's already a bunch of sticky notes on this cross. And as I was thinking about a way to close out this series and knowing that our stability is experienced when we're anchored in Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest example of his goodness, of his security, of the stability that can be ours. Is up front here, you'll find sticky notes with Sharpies all along the front here. 
And what I would love to ask you to do is just to come forward when this, ne- when this song is played and for you to come and to write down, maybe in a word, maybe in a phrase, that describes the rough water that you're experiencing that you're like, man, it's so hard to trust God, trust you in this, Lord. It's robbed me of my contentment. But today, I'm leaving it at the cross. We have pins here in these two jars and you just take that sticky note, right? Whatever it is that describes whatever that you're like, I'm leaving at the cross today and you pin it to that cross, symbolizing that Jesus Christ is the source of your contentment. He's the source of your stability. He's the source of your joy.